Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. So today we have uh, the founder and um, currently still running the as I guess the president of the product project, which is a non-profit organization uh, that is um, founded with the goal of uh, promoting product management. So welcome, uh, Mr. Heidi Yi. And uh, so yeah, how are you, Ms. Uh, Yi? Great, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And um, my first question is actually, what is your background? Yeah, so I started out in health science, you know, like in high school. It was kind of like science was the only track open、uh, to me. Coming from like an Asian family as well, it was kind of like if you don't go to science or don't become a doctor, you're considered, you know, not、uh, the greatest. So、uh, I always had like the goal in mind to become a physiotherapist when I was in high school. I was like this is a field that was really interesting and. Then in Sejep, I took an enriched bio course because why not? You know, like because I could, and I tried it out, and then I thought, wow, like if I if I'm going to be sitting, you know, in a course like this and hating my life absolutely every single class, I, I thought it was just if I if I were as miserable for the rest of my life, I wouldn't really enjoy. Like it's not something I enjoy doing, and I, it's something I won't feel fulfilled doing as well. So I always wanted to do something more closely related with like、uh, dealing with people, you know, like. Impacting people directly,、uh, interacting with them a lot more, and then something that could tie in like world affairs and world events, and make me learn more about how it works、uh, rather than just like you know the science and then something very specific. So that's why I had decided to just take a leap of faith and head over to business. And I also started out like not knowing anything. <laughs> I didn't know how to spell the word business. I was like B I Z. What? Yeah, it was it was a, quite a big shift in like. How you learn, but also what you learn. But ultimately, I think it was the right decision for me. Then moving on to business. So I guess now you're working in product management. So and back then, when I heard first about heard about the product project as well as、uh, product management, it was a lot about technology. So how was it to be an expert in business while working in the tech industry? Yeah, that's a really good question. So product management.、Uh, first, I want to preface this by saying, like, I'm not an expert at all in product. I've just been kind of Researching it, and also I'm still like very fresh to my role, and I'm doing an internship, so it's nowhere near reflective of what the role actually is.、Um, and the role is actually quite different across companies, across like different sizes of companies, and depending on like what industry you know the product or the company is in as well.、Um, but coming from a business background, I would say there are some kind of benefits that I was able to bring to my role as a PM intern.、Uh, but there are also, I guess, not pitfalls, but just things I. Realize that I lacked because for a PM to be a good PM, you really need to be kind of like jack of all trades, know a bit of everything, but not be specialized in any of the things. So, to give you a tangible example, in PM, you're dealing with a technical product. So, let's say right now I'm building、um, or I'm working on an app that lets you pick up your groceries. So, it's an app that deals with customers and deals with all Canadians. But to make that app happen and all the functionalities happen, you need engineers, right? You need Someone or a group of people to build all of the applications or like the functions, like the buttons. Like if I click this, what happens after? Or if I submit my order, what happens、uh, so that the backend receives it? So the 
challenge of having a business background is yes, you're really good with strategy. You're really good with you know the vision. You're really good with communication. But the challenge is speaking the language that the engineers speak and thinking the same way as them, and also knowing kind of coming across as、um, not an expert but someone who at least understands the underlying technology. I think that would be the most challenging part. But yeah, I'm, I'm still kind of easing into my role. I think it's it's definitely like. Definitely a learning curve,、um, but yeah, I would say for someone with a technical background going into PM, maybe the challenge there is like, how do I communicate better with like marketing, with sales, so people working on the product team too, but from a business background. So it's really the communication and like the like your your studies and your background really determines kind of your preferred method of communication and the language that you speak.、Um, and you don't realize this until you get on the role, and then someone comes from a completely different background, and they're like, they all speak, you know, like. A technical language, for example. So I guess that was like the learning curve for me, and I'm still riding it right now. So as you're dealing with、uh, tech and business, so you're sort of like the jack of all trades, dealing in all aspects and dealing with engineers, with marketing, and、um, so basically every department. So what do you see as the intersection between technology and business, and、uh, are, are there any intersections that you did not anticipate going into PM? Yeah, I will speak to maybe the intersection between business and tech, but within I guess the, the like product management field because there's a lot of intersections、uh, that you can draw. But within PM specifically,、uh, I would say. Not anticipated. I, I think the first one is how much a small error, for example, on the technical side, can impact a huge part of the business.、Uh, or how, let's say, if you're not able to deal with a mistake on the,、um, or like how you're not able to capture like a client's need or like a, a user's need, you can, you can easily like not build the right functionality for them on the technical side either. So it kind of goes both ways. To give you more tangible example, like. On the tech side, if let's say your customer is not able to check out, for example, and your yeah your customer is not able to check out, and you're dealing with kind of an error on the back end, for example, and it's a technical error, and you're not able to trace where that error came from, right? So it just says error, but you don't know if it's like an error in the back end, in the front end, in the data, like what you don't know exactly what happened. Well, this customer is not going to be able to check out. So if you follow that same kind of logic, like if customer is not able to check out, then that means maybe it's not only him or her, but a group of them. And when a group of what does that actually represent for the business? That represents a lot of revenue, right? So. It's really about connecting the dots between, like, okay, what is the impact of this technical error or decision, and then following a flow in a series of, like, you know, kind of like a ripple effect all the way back into the business. This is something that I would never have anticipated before because you don't learn about this, these practicals, until you get to the job.、Um, and this is my first、uh, product management internship, so it was definitely like a huge learning as well. And I did not anticipate that. First of all, good luck on your first internship、uh, at PM. And speaking of PM, I guess、well, I'll hand it to Camila to talk more about、uh, the product project. Thank you, Henry.、Um, okay, so I guess just before we jump into the product project, I know this is a project、um, centered around product management. So, could you give us newbies a little explanation of what product management actually is? Yeah, that's the loaded question. When like everyone's like, "Oh, what's PM?" and then every single PM that you speak to will have a different definition, and I've definitely experienced that as well. This is just coming from me. You know, like I work at Loblaw Digital right now, doing a PM internship. I'm on a customer-facing team, and just keep that in mind when you think about PM because it's going to be really different across, as I said, organizations,、um, teams. Whatever part of the product you're working on, 
product management is the role that someone takes within a company that's in tech, usually that's in tech. It could also be like a non, you know, the product can be non-technical, but it's, it's the, it's the owner of the vision or the future of the product. It's the owner of the evolution of the product. Um, and what does that actually mean? Because <laughs> this is very vague. It means that you are responsible for gathering the right people. So gathering the right teams, making the right links, doing the right research, finding the right problems to solve to make your product better for your users. I don't know if that helps you understand, but essentially like, let's say you're owning, you're, you're the PM on, um, let's say Google Meet, like we, we have this product right here, right? Google Meet, then you're gonna be the person championing the product obviously for your users, but also you need to be the person aggregating the right people and the right stakeholders to, to make the right decisions on how to evolve. So let's say this is the state of Meet right now. Well then, how are you gonna make your product grow so that it fits your future users' demand or you know your increasingly demanding users' demands or needs? So yeah, essentially you're you're responsible for a whole team for the decisions, uh, but you're not the one dictating the future of the product because your job is to not to make the decisions, but to gather the right people, gather the right resources and empower them to make the right decisions to grow the product. Uh, and I'm just realizing that what I said is still quite intangible, but it's truly very different for every single field. So what I would say is um, if you're trying to learn about PM or if you're interested in like business or tech, you know, as a stage up student or um, you're in your first year in university, uh, the best way is to read up, read up some resources online um, and also talk to different PMs at different companies that you're interested in and see what the differences are or in their roles, because it's going to be very different. They're all going to give you like very vague, different definitions, but try to ask them specific questions on like, okay, so what do you do? What's the current pain point that you're solving for your customer? And then you'll understand better what their role is. Well, thank you for that very, very detailed answer. Um, then just going back a little bit to your background, basically, I do want to ask, could somebody who has like no knowledge in tech, um, completely just from the business side of things, go into PM and be successful at it? I would say absolutely, absolutely, because I want to first say that there aren't a lot of people who are really proficient in both. You, know, you don't find a lot of them, especially as students nowadays. Um, I do wish that more programs like these existed, right? Like, so for example, like programs where you get to study maybe a part of computer science, a part of like uh, design, like graphic design, but also part of commerce and business. Um, that would be like perfect, but unfortunately there is no such thing nowadays. So I would say absolutely because you don't need to fit a certain mold to be a PM because as I said, like the PM role varies across organizations and the product you're working on. So for example, if I'm working on a more consumer facing product, having a business background or having more of like, a, you know, the user empathy, the like strategy, um, it actually makes me better at dealing with consumer facing products. But someone who's, let's say, in tech or like, you know, is interested in computer science, uh, understanding how the back end of the product works, how does, how does something support a software? Um, they would be more suited, for example, for a more like a software as a service product rather than like a consumer facing product. Or they might be better at like understanding APIs. And yeah, so I think there's, you can definitely leverage your skill set no matter what your background is in order to get into PM, as long as you have a passion for the product and the problem that your product is solving for the customer.
All right, thank you for that um, really supportive and wholesome answer. <laughs> um, then going back to what you were saying earlier, Ashley, um, you were saying there's not that many opportunities for somebody to be familiarized with both fields. And so my question would now turn to the product project. Um, what is it? Because if I understood correctly, you guys are trying to um, help, you know, like um, students become more familiar with um, this field of work and be familiarized with a bit of both things, right? Yeah, so to give you context on the product project, uh, it's an organization that I started because I kind of stumbled upon the field of product management very randomly through an internship. Um, and so I was in my second year in university and I was, well, I mean, I was in business school, obviously, and I know I wanted to work in tech, but I didn't want to do, you know, like consulting or finance or some of these like traditional roles in business, but I just didn't know what else was out there because those were the only opportunities presented to me at my university uh, or, you know, that I was aware of at least. And so I had an internship. It was for four months. Um, we were building a product to solve one of the, one of the challenges presented to us uh, from Canada's leading banks. And then we came together, built like a recommendation algorithm uh, that was kind of similar to what Netflix like usually runs on. So whenever you open your feed, you get your match score, you get a percentage for each movie that's been recommended to you, right? And um, we built something very different, uh, sorry, very similar as this, but in the realm of offers on a credit card. So if you were, let's say like, this ex banks like customer and you had a credit card with them uh they would usually like to keep you right to keep you as a loyal customer they would send you offers discounts rewards like points to redeem think air miles almost um and the problem with that bank or the business at that time was that they would send offers for example like you are a customer you don't drink coffee but they would still push like tim hortons starbucks etc like all of these offers that are irrelevant to you and so customers would actually move away from the bank and become disengaged. So we built something that solves the problem of the lack of personalization, which was, you know, first, highly technical for someone coming from a business background. And second, I was working only with data scientists and developers, and I had to kind of take care of the vision, the, um, some parts of project management, but also discovering the user's needs, dealing with all the stakeholders, um, managing presentations, framing a story also around the product that we're pitching. So in that sense, that was my first exposure to product. And then someone had told me like, oh, what you're essentially doing is product management. And then I was like, but I've never heard of this role. Like, can you tell me more about it? And turns out it was actually a very prominent role or like it's a booming role that stemmed in uh, Silicon Valley. I think it was started at either Yahoo or Google. And I'm supposed to know this, like I'm literally like championing PM, but I don't, um, I don't remember. I think it was Marissa Mayer from Google who started it. And yeah, so I was just wondering like, why don't we have something like this in Canada? Like why don't more students know about this? Because it seems like it was very US centric and it still very much is. Um, and so I decided to just talk to a few PMs that I knew in Montreal and kind of see if we could build a bit of attention or like a bit of awareness around this role and tell students that, hey, if you're interested in business, but at the intersectionality between business design and technology or engineering, that there is something out there for you to aspire to or to look forward to in your career in the coming years. And so yeah, we ran for a year, the product project, it essentially tries to introduce in like a very natural way. So like we run, we ran six webinars in the summer on just 
working in tech in general, so presenting the four prominent roles in um, technology, which are product management, obviously, product design, and also software engineering and data science. And the, the videos are actually available, so I can send like a link to you and you can share it with like the listeners if you want. Um, but yeah, we had these webinars and multiple other topics, such as uh, what is it like working on a product from a startup? versus at a big firm. Uh, what is the difference between project and product management? Because the concepts are pretty, you know, like the words are similar, the concepts can be overlapping as well. Um, and also what is product design? So not just completely focused on product management, we wanted really to show the versatility of working in technology as someone from a business background. Um, and then, yeah, so after the webinars, we were kind of thinking, oh, maybe we should run something a little bit more tangible because you know, speaking or listening to someone speak is very different from getting hands-on on some activities. So we really wanted students from any year, any kind of schooling um, to just experience what it is like to solve or like be in the shoes of PM. So through product discovery, which is one of the frameworks that um, PMs use in tech nowadays. And yeah, so in that framework, like we ran a four part series workshop with Dialogue. So one of Montreal's, um, they actually IPO'd, but they're one of Montreal's or Canada's leading telemedicine startups. Um, the team was very, very nice. We ran, uh, we ran four workshops. They were all co-created with uh, product managers at Dialogue. And we basically took a cohort of like 20 to 30 uh, I was going to say students, but some of them are also young professionals willing to transfer into tech or transition into it. And yeah, we took them kind of through uh, the actual process of discovering a new feature for their app or one of, one of the products that they're offering. Um, and yeah, that one was very successful as well. And I think the major learning from running TPP is that you can't really force someone, you can't force a field onto someone. You really have to show what's really great about the role, the ins and outs of the role, the practical, but also the like theoretical knowledge that is required to get into the role um, to someone in order for them to be, you know, like to be receptive, to discover more and like actually like be organically interested in the role. Um, and so, yeah, and I think this is, this is the best kind of definition I can give for um, the product project, but it's, it's definitely really exciting. Um, right now we're on break because we don't really, you know, like I think for the team, like we really want to give the team a chance to uh, pursue our own learnings, especially because we were running these events, not really knowing what the roles were because we were in the same shoes as most of our attendees. We were still trying to discover more about the roles, including myself. So right now I'm discovering that, you know, on the job as a PM, it's very, very different from what we were kind of preaching at TDP. Like, yes, there's the product discovery aspect, there's the problem solving, there's, you know, the user testing, you know, like you can insert as many buzzwords as you want, but being in the actual role is a complete different experience. So I would say TBP is kind of like a stepping stone uh, to learning more about the role, learning about the ins and outs, kind of getting familiar, but it's definitely not enough for you to determine whether or not P uh, PM is for you or not. So I'm just going to be very honest about this. I see. Thank you so much. So um, we did some research and we found out that TTP is actually, as of right now, a nonprofit organization. Um, and so the first question would be to ask you, why did you guys make the choice to be a nonprofit rather than a maybe like an academy or a business of sort? Um, and then the second question relating to that would be, you know, it's very hard to get um, funds even for like a startup business. 
Um, so for a nonprofit organization, how did you guys go about funding yourselves, and how did you solve the problem of generating revenue being a nonprofit? Yeah. So to your first question, which is uh, why did we decide to pursue the nonprofit route? Um, it's I don't think it was a very explicit decision. Um, my only the only reason, but I can think like reason if you want, is that we it, it, this first year of operations it was really just like an experiment. It was kind of to test the waters, plant a seed, see if people were actually interested. And so our goal wasn't even to like make money or anything. It was really just to see like, is there interest? Can we validate that there is need for, you know, an organization to come in and present the ins and out of tech for students that are interested in working in business, but also in tech at the same time. So it wasn't even top of mind, you know, that it wasn't like a conscious decision, like, oh, are we going to be nonprofit or are we going to be like making money? Like it, it wasn't a major decision. Um, and so I would say it was actually beneficial to us because we were able to test an idea and really get to the root of it without thinking about the profitability aspect just yet. Um, and it really helped us understand our user base and also what students really wanted ahead of making money. You know, that's definitely a side objective or like, you know, it wasn't even an objective. So that's the first kind of answer to your first question. The second question you asked was what kinds of ways we found funding, right? Um, because, you know, as a we're all broke students <laughs> running this uh, organization and we're, uh, yeah, so to that, I would say, first, it wasn't really costly to run. Um, everything, you know, could be done online. There's a lot of free tools that we could use. So we use like Airtable to organize, you know, it was kind of like our customer, customer, like attendee database, um, but also for project management. Uh, we use Slack, which had a free version, obviously. Uh, Google Meet was free. Uh, as, as, like as long as your webinars don't reach like a capacity of like 150 or something, um, so that's what we use at first. Zoom, I mean, we had it with Miguel, so all of these platforms were like free to us. So it really, you know, funding wasn't necessary. Uh, but then we also, with the second part of uh, like I guess the first year of events, which was the product discovery workshops with Dialog, uh, we actually tried out like a pricing scheme because we were like, hey, we're working with these professionals who are dedicating a lot of their weekly time outside of work to craft these workshops with us. And so we wanted to charge and see if there's actual demand when we charge these workshops and when we don't make them free, right? So when we charge these workshops, is there actually demand and from what types of people and can we maybe cover some of the like small business expenses like G Suite and then at the same time give back to the workshop leads who ran these, you know, who designed these amazing sessions with us. So um, how we decided to do it is obviously go small, don't price it too much, price it as it reflects the value of the or the quality of the workshops, obviously. Um, I mean, for the quality, I would definitely like, I think for just the quality of the presenters and the speakers that we had, it would be priced a lot higher than what we actually did. but. Uh, we kept in mind that we were dealing with mostly a student customer base, uh, some young professionals, so definitely couldn't price it too, too high, especially because there's a lot of free resources online as well. So we decided to charge $5 per workshop, but the bundle would be $15. So you get four workshops for 15, which is one workshop free. Um, and so that was kind of just like an incentive for 
people to buy the actual bundle instead of buying the workshops individually, but they could still do that if they wanted to just like try it out. And it really validated that first of all, most people did end up getting the bundle because our workshops had a progression to them. So if you attended the first one, or you know, if you want to maximize your learning experience, it would be best if you attend all four of them because they're kind of connected in some sense, like it kind of flows into a story or a process. And so yeah, that need got validated and also it validated that you know people were willing to actually pay for events like these because of the quality. And, and we didn't see too many dropouts from you know session to session. So our turn rate was pretty good. Um, and so yeah, like people were willing to, to stay if they started a uh, they started out with the first workshop and the bought the bundle. Um, so yeah, I think it's all about being creative and being keeping your target customer in mind, right? Like keeping in mind like what their profile is while still trying to validate something or a hypothesis that you had, which is are people willing to pay for it? Um, and so yeah, for us it was again an experiment. Uh, the second. I guess way that we found funding was we ran a competition and I believe, I don't remember if Camilla, you were in the competition. Were you in Hatch? Yeah. Okay. There you go. Cause your name sounded super familiar. Um, so yeah, that competition. So we really wanted to give out prizes to, you know, the win winning teams. And at that time we had like pretty much zero budget as we would as an organization founded by students. Uh, and because we weren't affiliated with any school neither. So we couldn't get funding from their budgets. Uh, and so, yeah, we had to be really creative. And so the way we did that was through just outreach from personal contacts that we had uh, working at these different companies. And we actually partnered up with another student association from Concordia. And so I guess joining forces with them and just really making the most of our network connections and just pitching the idea, pitching it, you know, putting the idea down on the slide deck, making sure that the st story is coherent, that there's a clear ask, that you know we that we find the right people as well um so not just like you know a random developer for example from a company but someone who's actually who understands um you know the need to i guess do these community events with organizations like us um was really key so for example we reached out uh, we, we got funding from uh, diagram ventures which was a uh, venture capital based in montreal they also were one of the investors or the founders of Dialogue. Um, and so, yeah, they gave us funding uh, because of a personal connection or like one of our team members' personal connection. Um, so it's really about putting yourself out there, doing as much outreach as possible, but also finding the right people to talk to within each company to give you the right resources. Um, and it's also a lot of resilience because we, I remember during like, the month leading up to the competition, I think like three to four weeks before, like we still couldn't find our final partner that would provide the problem statement for uh, the Hatch competition. So, and we really needed it because we advertised it as, you know, three industries, three problem statements. And so that was really, really frustrating, uh, especially as the signups already started flowing in. And so it was really a story of resilience because if we had just backed out and then stuck with two prom statements, the event would have not worked out as well. We wouldn't have had, you know, the variety of industries that we were able to achieve in the end. Um, and so we persisted and we kept reaching out, kept following up with all of the leads that we had. And then at the end, we managed to secure uh, three partners. So essentially that was, that was definitely like a, 
learning experience, a stressful experience. Um, but yeah, it tells you to be creative sometimes with who you want to talk to and who you want to ask. Um, and oh yeah, I just remember this, but basically one of our tactics was to reach out to some of the workshop leads that we had already secured that weren't part of the partner companies. So, which was really, it's really complex. So we had these three partner companies and some of the workshop leads that were leading, you know, the sessions were part of them, but some weren't. So for, from those who weren't part of the companies, we would ask, you know, their companies if they could sponsor us because we already have a foot in, in the door by having them uh, leading one of the workshops. So yeah, it's just about, it's just about being creative, leveraging every, every connection that you know, make the ask clear and don't be afraid of asking. I feel like a lot of, you know, in the, in, in the shoes of a student, especially like you can ask, you can say so many times like, oh, who am I, you know, just a student to like request money from them. I would say, believe in yourself, believe in, believe in what you're doing, believe in the cause that you're, you know, the impact that you're about to make. And as long as you sound confident in it, there is going to be a party from a company that is going to believe in the mission that you're doing and be willing to contribute to like any sort of help, like funding or, you know, leading workshops. So that's kind of like the learning from uh, looking for funding, that experience. That was such a cool answer. Um, I have one last question before I hand it to Henry, because I'm sure he has so many questions that he's so eager to ask. Um, so if that's how you guys acquire your funds, um, going about using your connections and all the resources already available to you, then how did you guys go about um, marketing your events? Because I know that um, like you guys did a very good job marketing it, but um, since you guys are all students, um, I just want to like hear it from your perspective of how you guys um, strategize your marketing campaign. Yeah, um, it's a good question. So for marketing, there's three elements that come to mind. The first one is know and understand what your competitors are doing. The second is understand what your event truly stands for and truly understand what your content is, right? What is, what is it exactly that you're delivering in terms of the offering, whatever, like from like a product to like an event or like something really different, right? It, what is it that you're actually, what's the value that you believe you're delivering? And then the third part is understanding what your customers or your target audience needs. Um, and so I'll kind of dive deeper into like each stream, but in the first stream, which is like knowing your competitors, what we did was, you know, like as an association or as an organization, our competitors, quote unquote, were student associations who were running these events, you know, like running these hackathons, running these case competitions um, or design sprints. But we were kind of like, you know, a mix between the business case competitions, but also the hackathons. We kind of wanted to take the best of all worlds and come up with an event or, you know, because PM is so centric on all of these uh, components altogether. So we were looking at all of them and seeing how they would promote their things at what cadence, um, when and where do they promote them? So what channels do they blast them on? And so just having a good idea of what they're doing is going to make you not promote at the same time and cannibalize your sales, obviously, or like your, your not sales, but just like your tickets. Um, and then at the same time, you're going to be able to draw inspiration from, you know, the marketing that they're doing. So that's the first part. The second part is understanding what your 
organization or what your event truly offers. And that's the easiest, I feel. You don't really need to do a lot of research. It's really about, you know, your team and yourself are the ones who put together this event. So you should be understanding what exactly it is. Very clear, the value proposition. Like, especially because we were in the shoes of our target audience. So it was really easy for us to like uncover what that value truly meant. And so what I did was like ask everyone from our team being like, yeah, so why would you need an event like this? Like, what do you find appealing in an event like this? Knowing whatever we're about to offer. And we would just kind of like highlight the main points, put them all, like aggregate them all. And that crafted or that was the, it resulted in the value proposition we had in mind. And then the third part, which is the most interesting part, is the understanding your target audience part. And this is tricky because the value proposition you kind of brainstorm, referring back to my second point, can be very different from what your audience understands of your from your event. So you need to do a good job of relating to your audience, giving them exactly what they want in terms of promo so that they can click on your event and like sign up. And sometimes there's a disconnect. Uh, sometimes we believe our event is like so great, but then the target audience doesn't see it or sees it a different way. So the way we had gone about it is first, do a lot of research on your customers. So kind of applying the same product principles almost, like product management principles. So we launched multiple surveys throughout the year and multiple feedback surveys as well. Just to understand first, like what is it that our audience actually wants or wants to learn, wants to hear, wants to do in the events. And the second part is having attended the events, what would make them come back? Uh, did they have a good experience? Can we maybe draw some learnings and you know things that areas of improvements that we could work on? Um, and so really doing research to understand the target audience is so, so, so important. And I remember we crafted like maybe like five to six surveys uh, throughout the year just to understand better what the audience want because it shifts over time. You know, we were running one year of operations. So what they told you in June 2020 is not going to be the same as what they need in like March 2021. So yeah, it's just about to be, it's just about being consistent with your surveys and your research, drawing insights from that. Um, and yeah, based on the audience's answers or based on the answers that we collect, we kind of analyze them a little bit, find out the major themes that, you know, the major pain points. So what exactly is a student in his last year uh, struggling with? Is it that they're struggling with school or is it that they maybe don't have opportunities in technology, right? So with these words, these exact words that these students would tell us, we would craft our marketing messages using these exact words because that would speak to them the most and be relatable. And I would say that's like a huge, 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 huge component of marketing, which is really understand what they're going through, what their pain points are, crafting your story and your message directly to reflect that and to be like, hey, we have an event that would practically solve these problems that you have, so come to it. Um, so I, I would say competition, understanding your value prop, and really following your audience's evolving needs and translating that into your marketing message. Thank you so, so much. Um, I'm gonna hand it back to Henry now because I'm sure he's so eager to ask you so many other questions. Yeah, uh, first of all, I just want to say uh, excellent advice. Um, de definitely taking notes as well. And I guess one of us will be editing this, so I guess I'll just uh, copy everything down and move from it. Um, and back to the product project and also product management in general. 
Uh, you were talking a lot, uh, a lot about uh, the right people. So, uh, how do you go about the process of finding the right people, especially as a student? How do you find uh, the connection and the network? So, are you talking about the right people to like to form a team, or the right people to talk to when you need to like build something? Actually, both. Both. Okay, I can start with team. So. We can maybe talk about like how I found the people to build TPP with, because that was definitely like it, it kind of happened like organically, randomly. Um, but there's a there's a way I kind of go, went about it. So I was alone on this initiative at first because I was kind of just thinking about it through my head and laying all the research out, talking to this, these different product managers, trying to find out like how can I actually make this happen. Um, and I. I would say the the first thing I did was to plant a seed out there. So just put yourself out there through an event or through a survey or through like a, an article or just do something on your own, right? Do like the minimum amount of thing that could maybe trigger interest and the right people that are interested in whatever you're doing, how, no matter how small, are going to flock to you. And these people are the ones that you really want to keep and the ones you really want to like have a conversation with because perhaps they can be your next like founders or you know part of your team so that's exactly what happened with tvp like i sent out a survey to gather interest from different students from different backgrounds at the same time researching their pain points you know like what, what is it that you need um from you know being in school like what's something outside of curriculum that you actually would want to see happen and then at the end, I left a, an optional field and I just said, hey, if you're interested in building this out with me, please leave your email. And it was optional, right? So I didn't force anyone to like leave their email. And leaving that at the end, I actually received, I think we collected about like 50 answers and I had 20 emails by the end of the survey response collection just left like that. And these are the people that you really want to make sure you get a hold of because they left their emails for a reason. They're interested in whatever you're doing. And so I reached out to these people um, and I emailed them. I was like, hey, like, thank you for filling out the survey. I, you, like you indicated with, by leaving your email interest in building out a, an association or like an event series with me. So I'm just gonna put myself out there and say like, if you wanna chat, you can book like 30 minutes with me and we can maybe brainstorm about how we wanna build this up. And yeah, so that's how I found my my team, like initially, and that's how we built these, this whole year of events. Um, so I would say, yeah, put yourself out there, do the minimum amount of thing to kind of indicate interest, and the right people will come flocking and hold on to these people. The second thing, which is how do you find the right people that could help you solve a problem or answer your questions? This is something I would say I am still trying to find answers to, to be honest. I'm still struggling with that because um, in my APM internship right now, this is what I realized, like, this is what I have to do. Like, I am not the person to find answers. I'm the person to gather the right people to collectively find answers to a problem. And I would say at first I was really clueless as to, like, you know, who to ask because I could ask someone and that person could, well, not have the answer. Um, and directly to someone else. So I would say the first thing, even before finding the right people, is breaking down your problem into smaller subcomponents. So if you have a very vague and ambiguous problem, 
let's say like, how do we increase monthly active users of Google Meet? This is such a huge problem. You're not gonna just be like, okay, let me grab four people and they're gonna be like able to find the right answers. Um, if you can't think of the right people to solve, to help you solve that problem, I would say it's because you haven't gone down to the granular level and broken down your problem enough to find the right people. So going back to the example of like Google Meet, increasing the number of like active uh, monthly active users. Well, in order to increase monthly active users, there are a number, there's, there's like so many different variables that impact the monthly active users, right? There's how well the platform works, how visible is the platform compared to other platforms like Zoom or I don't even know, like I literally only know Meet and Zoom in my head right now. Um, and also how great the experience is, right? Like the visuals, the design on the platform is. Um, and so within each bucket, you'll be able to identify better, like who your customers, I'm sorry, who is able to help you. So the three buckets that I broke them down in is obviously tech, right? So how reliable, how fast, how stable the platform is, that's the technical component. So within the technical component, who are your go-to people, who are your experts, is obviously the engineers, it's your engineering manager. So from that sense, like now you know better who to contact or who to reach out to. And then the second one was like how visible your platform is. And that's obviously awareness, marketing, that's all marketing related or sales related. So now you know who the people are. And then the user experience as well. It's like your designers, right? The one who's, who are in control of that like visual component. So when you don't know who to talk to, it's because you haven't thought about the problem enough or broken it down enough to really find, okay, these are literally the people building these small subcomponents that make up this huge uh, product that you're working on. So yeah, I would say before thinking about bringing the right people, think about have you broken the problem down enough. Excellent. And I guess, uh, personally, I don't have any more questions. It's all very curious. So I'll hand it back to Camila, maybe talk a bit more about the Hatch case competition and uh, her experience with it. So as you stated, so Hatch was something that the team um, did in collaboration with another student um, association um, from Concordia. And so actually, I don't think I could explain the premise of this um, competition as well as you could. So could I maybe ask you for like a description? of what that competition was all about. Yeah, absolutely. So it was very fun, very stressful to build, but super rewarding. Um, so Hatch essentially was a competition where we wanted students from different backgrounds to come together and you know not think about it as, is it a case comp or is it a hackathon or is it a design sprint? It's a mix of all, but I, we just wanted bright minds to come together and in small groups and find creative solutions entrepreneurial solutions to solve a problem within an actual business uh, or within an actual tangible industry. So it could be retail, it could be healthcare, it could be fintech um, or even entertainment, right? So we just wanted Bright Minds to come together. It's not, we're not branding it as a competition in any sense. It's really just like, take the best of the hackathon, take the best of uh, design events, you know, design jams and case competitions and put them all together. Um, and so there's the, yes, the product kind of mindset behind it, but there's also a huge focus on the entrepreneurial mindset, um, especially because we were collaborating with the Gina Cody um, Entrepreneurship Society. So yeah, we, we, we saw there's a lot of overlap between entrepreneurship and product. So yeah, we wanted to essentially 
give three problem statements to students and have them come together, take that problem statement, find a solution that addresses one of the aspects of the problem and actually pitch their product to a panel of experts that work in those respective industries. And um, with regards to that, actually, since you brought this up earlier as well, um, you know, you had some really big names um, came to the, um, the competition. Like we had um, Shopify. Um, we had several other really big names that I couldn't pull off the top of my head right now. But um, how did you guys? How did you guys reach out to them? Yeah, and again, going back to kind of like how do you find the right people or like how do you find funding? It's all about leveraging personal connections. So. Most of the people I would say was most of the people that we brought on as workshop leads or facilitators, it was just through either cold outreach on LinkedIn or leveraging personal connections. So for example, like this PM uh, mentor of mine who were like very close and we met like a couple of years ago at this other event, um, she was very, very willing to you know, keep this relationship, but all the way until now and come as a workshop lead um, or as a facilitator, or as a judge, you know? so. It's really, I think these are like the two major ways that you're gonna find um, are really helpful to get these big names. Um, but the lesson there is that, you know, now you really see the power of connections, right? Especially as a student, without them, you're not gonna be, well, it's really gonna be difficult for you to learn more about the ins and outs of the industry or the role, but also it's gonna be it's, it's kind of like a disadvantage if you're building these events or if you want to request for more information or for funding um, to run something. So I think it really, it truly demonstrates the power of personal connections. We were always opting for personal connections first and then diverting to cold outreach because that one is gonna be a lot harder. You don't have a relationship with that person. They're a cold lead. They don't really know what you're doing. They don't really know what the organization is for. Um, and so, yeah, I think building them and then keeping them, nurturing them for a long time, that's going to be so, so important for you if you want to, you know, run an event in the future or if you want to get mentorship or get advice in the future um, with them. So, yeah, I would say that's the, those are the two ways that we went about it. Um, there's really no secret. You just got to usually reach out. You just got to not think that you're, you know, like a student with like absolutely no credentials, just do it because a lot of people will be willing to help. Um, and some people within these big companies, you know, I know it's like big names and everything, but these big companies have a lot of people and some people might say no and some people might ghost you or like reject you. But there's obviously people that are going to say yes all the time. In these companies, you just got to keep being resilient, keep reaching out and at some point someone's going to answer. Yeah, about that actually. So, um, if it's okay to ask, like, how many people did you guys reach out to in total, and how many um, came back to you guys or got back to you guys? That's actually a really good question because it's a metric we haven't tracked internally. Um, because at some point we were just like, it's a, such a metric that makes you so desperate. You know what I mean? It's like you, the response rate usually is not that great. I mean, for, for everyone, um, because a lot of people are really busy. Um, so yeah, we didn't really track that, but I would say it's very similar. I would say the, sorry, the metric is actually a lot better for 
the personal connections that you have. Like the response rate is going to be so much better for the personal connections than the cold leads, the cold outreach that you're going to be doing. So just like ballpark number on top of my head, for every five people or six people that I reach out to on LinkedIn as a cold lead, there's probably going to be one person responding. So that's kind of like a 20% response rate. And then um, versus a personal connection, it's like one out of two times that they would re respond at least. They might say no, they might say yes, they might offer an alternative, but at least you get a response. So it's much more effective. Um, but again, keep in mind, these are ballpark numbers. We actually didn't track the metrics this time, but you're actually giving me a good idea to maybe track that in the future. <laughs> um, then I guess, would you call that a difficulty for you guys during that experience reaching out to people? I would say it's definitely a challenge, yes. Um, but it, it's a challenge that can be easily overcome. And uh, most of the teammates that I had, you know, like our, like, you know, the founding team, but also the teammates that we recruited during the year, we all had different backgrounds, which was really beneficial because uh, someone studying software engineering has more connections to developers or like engineering managers at a certain company. Whereas me studying business, I had more connections to people working in a strategic role or in like a PM role uh, versus someone who's like, for example, in design or in data, they have, you know, we all had almost non-overlapping groups of contacts, which means our reach gets bigger, right? Because there's no like intersecting points. Um, and so because of that, I think it was actually pretty beneficial. So I think we were pretty lucky with the the shape of our network connections. If you were to like draw it overall, like, you know, draw the web of connections, like we had a pretty good reach. Um, but again, as always like for students is always gonna be hard, harder than later on in your career. Um, to reach out to to like overcome that difficulty because you don't have that much exposure. You're not already in the workforce. Um, and so that's why also coming back to building these relationships, like it's never too early to start building these professional relationships with people that you see on LinkedIn that are interested or that are working on a company that you're interested in or an industry or a role that you aspire to, you know, taking in the future. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your answer. Um, then I guess the question following that would be, other than that, what are some of the other challenges that you guys had to face or had to overcome during that experience or that event? My gosh, where do I even start? <laughs> yeah, that's a loaded question. I would say, okay, in terms of challenges, we're not going to talk about outreach. Outreach is already like one that we like discussed a lot. Um, but I would say the first main challenge I can think of is is the fact that um, the field is very new PM nobody really understands it nobody everyone has different definitions and so if we use the words product management in our marketing nobody's gonna understand nobody's gonna come to our events um, which was quite frustrating because it was literally the role or the role that was centric to whatever event or like you know meetup that we were building and we couldn't use it so we had to find workarounds to market it properly in order to actually have an audience, uh, but without using the actual words and without being too nitty gritty within like the specifics of the field. Um, so that was the first challenge. And I think the way we overcome it was, again, first by doing a lot of research, understanding what, what kind of language or like what kind of words do our audience, does our audience base actually understand? that's not product management. 
so you know it could be business it could be technology or it could be like something at the intersection of both it could be design so we were throwing these words that were that spoke more to our audience um, instead of just using directly product management the second way was to focus on these smaller aspects of product management that were for example product strategy um, data, analyzing data, right? Like all of these small components of that make PM or that are important to the PM role, these are all worthwhile to talk about or to dissect or to run a workshop about. So, and these would actually speak to our audience a lot more. And so it's really finding workarounds and being creative with the way that you market it and really understanding what your audience wants and understands. Um, and it's totally okay to not use product management in like is even if it's the end goal or like the thing that you had in mind at the first place. So really being flexible and adaptable. Um, the second challenge I would say is, it's just like the difficulty of running the events like logistically. Um, and especially online, you guys probably know that, you know, this, I asked you guys earlier, like, oh, this is, how was the learning experience this year? And Sejab, uh, having it fully remote and it was definitely really challenging and I empathize a lot with the profs even though sometimes I'm like oh like you could have done a better job at like making your learning experience better but no like it's actually really challenging being behind the scenes uh, coordinating all these events I remember for the webinars you know we were running one hour webinars during the summer that the pandemic just hit and <laughs> we had to plan exactly at what minute of the hour we would do whatever action to make sure that the webinar runs smoothly so we had like every single time we had a schedule we had someone animating so it's really like the coordination of all of these events is much more detailed than you would expect um and for someone who experiences a really good webinar you know without interruptions without any technical difficulties or time lost um, they don't often realize how much work has been put into it because it's run so smoothly. But once you are on the flip side, you know, the backstage, <laughs> that's when you realize there's a tremendous amount of prep needed. And so just catching these edge cases, you know, what if this happens? Oh, then we need to deal with this flow. Um, what if this happens? And then catching all of the like plan, making a plan B to catch all of these like errors or like potential pitfalls, mistakes, uh, that was really, really challenging, but so rewarding because we ended up having a backup plan to like almost every situation that uh, we ran into running the webinars or the workshops. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of time, but it's definitely worthwhile preparing for these, you know, these uh, what if scenarios. Um, and I would say the last challenge is just I guess being experimental and being in a trying to solve a problem that you don't fully understand yet, um, which was really literally like it summarizes the core of like our first year of, at TPP. We didn't exactly know. We thought the problem was X, but then it turned out to be Y, and then it turns out to be shifting into Z after. Um, so to give a more concrete example, we thought. We thought people were interested in product management and knew what it was. We just thought they lacked events around campus to showcase what product is. That was X, right? That was X in the beginning. And then doing these webinars, learning about our audience, we actually realized that, no, it turned into Y, which was our audience doesn't actually even know what product is. They never heard of it. It's their first time hearing these words. So we got to reshift our 
mindset and like the way that we market our events, the way that we run these events, you know, we got to make them a lot more beginner friendly than we thought in order to benefit the student audience. Um, and then it shifted into Z again. So anyway, like, this is going to drag on and on. And I don't even know if I found, figured out the right problem, to be honest, to be solved by TPP. Um, that's why it's, it's just dealing with a problem that's constantly evolving or dealing with an audience that's constantly changing, whose needs are constantly changing is really, really hard. It's challenging, but it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you always trying to find out, okay, so like, what's next? What, how has this problem evolved? How, how did our audience's needs evolve? Um, it, it's an interesting challenge, I would say. And I think if you like working on ambiguous challenges and ambiguous problems that are ill-defined, you're going to like product management a lot. <laughs> so in the sense, like we were, we were kind of applying the product management principles in order to um, solve that challenge of an ambiguous problem. Yeah, actually, speaking of uh, the year forward, and uh, actually, what are the future plans of the product project? I'm going to be completely transparent with you. We don't have a roadmap. <laughs> um, we don't have a roadmap because this first year was meant to be, you know, an experiment, and we got a lot of learnings from just running one year of events. It was challenging. There's a lot of learnings, lots of like assumptions destroyed as well that we had at first. Um, and so right now the plan is first giving back to the teammates, making sure that they have their own time to develop whatever they want to learn about. Um, interestingly enough, our team, not everyone is interested in product management. I know it's like very, it's very like, whoa, like you're literally building the product project. Why aren't you, why isn't your team interested in product management? But it's, it's actually like fascinating the fact that our team came in because they were interested in aspects of product management and then they came out of this year knowing that knowing exactly what they want uh which was to me probably like the biggest satisfaction of this whole year knowing that you know my team members have actually learned something from building these product related events whether it is that they want to go further into product management or not you know like whether it is whether it is like that they're interested in another field completely like that's still super valuable because i was able to impact or the organization was able to impact them um in a way where they realize more what they're suited for and what their true interest lies so yeah the first step is to give back to the teammates making sure that they have time to explore their different in internships um including myself you know like making the most of the product internship um, and then what I'm thinking about doing, which is still in like very vague terms, is um, kind of launching um, the like TPP 2.0, I guess, so like the second year with a complete different roadmap mindset as someone who's already worked in the field now, who has experienced what the field actually is and the work itself, who has built new connections. My next challenge is how can we make product management more accessible to more people? And how can we empower maybe interns or associate PMs already working in the role, um, how to give them a better learning experience by creating this community of support, no matter at which firm they're working at. So as you can see, we're kind of shifting, like I'm thinking of taking a more towards supporting PMs that are actually in their role or you know just started in their associate roles or in their internship roles. Um, 
and with less so of a focus on like you know that student community although like i would love to run events with students and you know hatch 2.0 that's definitely like a possibility it's just that the um i guess the the focus or like the, the vision moving forward is how to support people that are kind of evolving in this role already um so yeah i would say that is in general like a vague direction but again i want to keep experimenting i want to keep that like open-mindedness and see whatever opportunity can come out of it um because right now it's it's quite blurry to be honest uh, well i guess uh, wherever the product project goes well uh we look forward to hearing more from it because i know camila and yena and everyone involved in hatch and i guess also back in the mind of his conversation during the networking i really enjoyed uh talking to you and to your team and i personally also really enjoyed your presentations as well uh so we look forward to where it goes and Uh, it was a pleasure, and it was very lovely to have you on. Thank you so much for taking your time with us. No, thank um, you for having me. This was super enjoyable, and um, yeah, like honestly, if you if you ever need like advice on how to run like an event or like market a podcast, like feel free to reach out to me. Like I'd be more than happy to help, or even if you want to chat about like career in general, um, or like uni programs, I'm I'm here. Okay, well, thank you so much for、uh, letting us do that, <laughs> and、uh, yeah, and we'll include all the webinars down in the description for any listeners who want to go、uh, check them out. Which would be, I guess, I will do so even after this、uh, recording. So、uh, other than that,、uh, again, very、uh, lovely having you on, and、uh, yeah, I guess、uh, thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for tuning to listen. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we did during the interview. If you liked this episode, learned something, or just want to help out a bunch of students, please leave a review, write a comment, and share this on social media. If you are listening to this on YouTube, please subscribe and write to us in the comments. All the books and other resources recommended by the interviewee are in the podcast description/video description, depending on your platform. And depending on when you see this, you might be able to use our affiliate link to purchase them. The Marianopolis Addendum podcast is actively seeking local sponsors here in Montreal. So if you are interested, please contact us at the email linked in the description. All the profit generated by this podcast will go back to fund our club's activity. If we have any surplus, they will be donated at the end of every month to a local charity. This episode was edited by Camilla Huang, and the artwork is done by Camilla Huang. The producers and guests associated with this episode may express their opinion, but this podcast does not support any political parties. We only aim to bring different perspectives on different issues through the free exchange of opinions and ideas. We look forward to seeing you at our next broadcast. Cheers.